Thanks for taking the time to listen to these recordings of our Sunday morning sermons. The Door Church is one church in two locations on mission to see lives restored with the gospel for God's glory, and we'd love to have you join us. To learn more about our gatherings in Louisville and Argyle, Texas, visit our website at thedoorchurch.net. Now, let's worship God by opening His Word. Uh, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes, so we're continuing our, our sermon series in Ecclesiastes. If you did not bring your Bible, there's one underneath the seat in front of you. We just encourage you to get that. And this sermon series is called From Vanity to Purpose. And this book, Ecclesiastes, is a, just a really timely and important book for us. Uh, as, a, as a culture, as a church family, it is part of the, the wisdom literature of the Bible, so it's, it's certainly wise and profitable uh, just on its own, but I, I think it's specifically for us in this time, and it's specifically important for us in this time, this, this book asks and answers the hard questions of life. What do we need to consider to live a meaningful, good life? And, and Ecclesiastes is, is, is going to challenge us to consider these questions. It's written by King Solomon. He calls himself the preacher. And the, the preacher is going to, to challenge you and I to face some of the hard questions of life. And last week we looked kind of high level, verses 1 through 11. We looked at life in general. Does life have any meaning at all, or is all just vanity? Is all just vapor? Does it matter that, that you live, that you exist? Does your life count? And we, we considered that, that in a godless world that you really know nothing really matters and it's all vapor but lived under the rule and reign of God, everything means everything, and everything matters. And so this week, we're, we're going to kind of zoom in. We were at 30,000 feet, and we're going to zoom in and get a little bit more specific, and we're going to look at the, the, the topic of wisdom. In James 1, it says that if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. And if you look at your concordance in your Bible, which tells you where words are found in your Bible, you'll see that wisdom is throughout your Bible. It's everywhere. And God cares about wisdom. He cares about your wisdom. So let's read this text. We're going to be in, in two different chunks, and I'll explain how that happens. So chapter 1, verse 12, God's Word says this, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. And I applied my heart to seek and search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I've seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I've acquired great wisdom surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Chapter 2, picking up in verse 12. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. 
For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this is also vanity. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. For all is vanity and is striving after wind. So this book, Ecclesiastes, is written by the preacher. And and the preacher, the king of Jerusalem, Solomon, has a, a high vantage point to lead us through these tough topics. He's a king, so he's got power. He doesn't just have power, but but he has wisdom. And I love the, the, the almost just, just this, this confidence, almost arrogance, that wouldn't be the right word, but, but this confidence in verse 13, he's searching out all things. He doesn't want to just see what's going on in Jerusalem, but he's like, I want to understand how the world works in general. I want to figure this out. And the reason that we have this book is because he, he had some beautifully large conclusions to share with us about all that is done under the sun. And he says, I applied my heart. He's not just throwing the royal treasury at it. He's not just throwing money at this this project, but he's saying, I'm going to apply my heart. I have to know the answer to these questions. I need to know. He he understands that his existence, it, it prompts these questions. What is wisdom? So let's, let's define that. Wisdom, as the Bible defines it, is really skill and understanding. It's really figuring out how things work. To be wise is not just to be smart, to have high intelligence, to have a lot of diplomas on your wall, or even to, to know scripture verses just off the top of your head. But, but to be wise is to have truth rightly applied. The truth of God rightly applied. If you just have the truth, but you don't know how to apply it, that's not helpful. We've all met people that are stuffed full of the right facts that have no idea how to live their life. But wisdom is truth rightly applied. So we must know the truth and we must know how to apply it. It is key. And I'm sure if you were listening, you noticed that the preacher, just as with last week, and, and we'll be on and on in this book. He gets real, real fast. Verse 13 and 14, he says, it's an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He's like, I, I searched out wisdom and I found it's an unhappy business. This is frustrating and hard. It's an unhappy business to try to, to figure out the way the world works. It's, it's vanity, which means vapor or breath. It's a striving after wind. If you went outside and you started trying to grab the wind in your hands, you can't. It'd be frustrating. It's striving after wind. And so what what the preacher finds, 
He finds that, that getting to the bottom of wisdom is really just rock bottom. The getting to the bottom of wisdom is just rock bottom. There's a sobering reality out there that as we become wise, we see. Why is that? Verse 15 says, because everything is crooked. And that word means like bent, perverted. Everything is crooked. There's no aspect of this world that sin has not touched. Everything is crooked. Evil exists. There's atrocities that have happened, genocides that have happened that that you and I don't even know about. Evil is real, and it's really hard to look at. The preacher sees this. And suffering, ask, ask a seasoned cop. Ask a paramedic. Ask a surgeon. Ask someone who's been a pastor for a while about suffering. When you're a conduit to see the suffering in the world, it is chilling and it's sobering and it prompts you to ask these questions. What matters? How how does the world work? And there's no rhyme or reason is part of the issue because kids get cancer, because bad people get rich. Because people that struggle with infertility are constantly bombarded with news of people with unwanted pregnancies. There's no rhyme or reason sometimes. In Jeremiah 12.1, Jeremiah just cries out to God. He says, righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you. He knows his place. He says, yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? He's like, this doesn't make sense to me. It's like a bad car accident. You see it and it just shakes you. And you see the world, the the crookedness of this world. And, and, And what is crooked, it says, cannot be made straight. You can't just see what is messed up in the world and go fix it. A guy named Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who was in a concentration camp in the, in the Soviet uh, Russian days of just, they were just oppressing and killing constantly. You may have never even heard of this genocide. He says that, that the dividing line of good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. What he meant by that, part of the reason we can't fix what is crooked is because it's not the evil out there that's the problem but it's the evil in here. And so it's easy for for you to look at culture or look at the world and go, it's broken, it's messed up, but it's not so easy to look in the mirror and realize that that dividing line of good and evil, it cuts right through your heart too. And it's not just the bad people out there, but it's the wickedness in my own heart that is truly the issue. And we can't make, so, so, so terrorism, if you go eradicate terrorism in one region, it pops up in another region. Or the, the child sex trade, people are making valiant strides and efforts and, and should continue, but what happens is you see it pop up somewhere else. It's frustrating when you try to make what is crooked straight and you can't. And so my family was on vacation this, this summer and we came upon a horrible car accident. And we were, you know, maybe 20 cars back. Everything was stopped. 
And all we could do is sit in our car and just pray for them and watch the helicopters come in and take their broken bodies and look at their broken vehicles. I couldn't go fix them. I couldn't repair their bodies. I couldn't fix their vehicles and put it back together. The the professionals couldn't do that because what is broken cannot be made straight and, and what is messed up by man cannot be solved by man. That's, man, it's hard to look at. And it's the right response. I just want you to know if this makes you uncomfortable, it's the right response. That's what the preacher is saying. He's saying it's sobering, it's chilling. And and today, because of all of the, the media that we have, it's almost like tragedy porn where you just see all of the horror that's going on and and you become inundated and you become inoculated, meaning you get used to it. And it gets less shocking, less sobering. You don't weep anymore over tragedies. You just keep scrolling. But the right response is to shudder, is to be sobered by this. In verse 18, Preacher says, in much wisdom is much vexation. That's like an angsty frustration. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. It's a direct correlation. The more you increase in wisdom, the more you increase in sorrow. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I know too much. He's saying that it's actually true. You can be dumb and happy but he knows too much. And I just want to remind you as as we look at this this book and continue in this sermon series, this is a real man. He was king in Jerusalem. This is not a parable of a a guy that, that is telling a story. This is a real man with real experiences with real power and saw lots of things. And and we don't know exactly what he did as he's searching out wisdom, but maybe he sat with the most brilliant scholars and thumbed through their books with them and listened to them. Maybe he went through the hospital and he he heard the cries of the sick and and watched the families mourn. Maybe he went to the battlefields and smelled the the smoke and the blood. This, This man saw it all. And it sobered him. And so between this sobering reality and him picking up wisdom again, he he decides to go for a beer real quick. So the verses that we're not really going to cover, verses 1 through 11 of chapter 2, not our main text, but we've got to walk through this. He's sobered by this reality, and he's kind of like a, a cop after a hard shift who goes for some beers with his buddies to try to decompress. And so he's going to see if what feels good will fill him up. He's like, this is gnarly. This is making me feel really strange right now. I'm going to go see if pleasure will work. And so he goes from the comedy club to the bar, to the garden, to the park, to the pool. He searches out all of the things that feel good. He had the best food. He had people waiting on him. He had jewelry. He had houses. He had all that stuff. And I just want to remind you, it says that his wisdom remained with him. This is not a six-month bender where he's just going just crazy, but he's actually using his wealth that God has given him to taste and see the world. What does he find? He finds it's vanity. 
He finds it a striving after wind. That what feels good won't, won't fill me because jokes get old and drinks diminish in value and you can get sunburned at the pool and weeds can grow in your garden and that pleasure will not fulfill you. He says you're made for a higher pleasure, a pleasure not of this world. And some of you need to hear this. Some of you think that, that when I get to this point, when I fund the kids' college, when we go on that vacation and just get a little bit of rest, when I just get to there, the preacher's saying, there's no there there. There's no pot of gold at the end of that rainbow. If you think that climbing the mountain of this world will get you to a point where you are satisfied and you're fulfilled, it won't happen. Because he went further and higher than any of us will ever go in this quest for pleasure. We were in, in Colorado this summer. Sounds like I'm taking a lot of vacations. I'm really not. There were two. Um, we, we took a hike. And as we're going up the mountain, you know, the air is thin, so your, your lungs struggle. And, and as we're going up and we're kind of sweating and heaving in our, our lungs, and people would come from above us. We'd say, hey, is it, is it worth it up there? How far? And the first group was kind of like, it's all right. And so they just kept walking. We were like, okay. So, so we, we went, and then the next group, we're like, how far is, is it worth it? And they're like, no, it's, it's really far. And we're like, okay. So we turned back around. We went back to the car. We were like, okay, this is not worth it. What the preacher is saying to you, he's saying, turn back. If you're trying to be fulfilled by pleasure, drink or money or vacations, sleep, food, a good marriage, your kids, turn back. They will not fulfill your heart. They cannot fulfill your heart. Turn back because God's good gifts are not as good as God. The pleasure of knowing God is not the same as just feeling his blessing in this world, but knowing him, intimacy with him is better than any of these things. So turn back. Reorient yourself. So wisdom brings sorrow and pleasure is pointless. So, so now we come back to wisdom. We're going we're gonna to pick up back in, in the second part of, of chapter 2. And so it's short-lived, that little journey that he took. And so the question here, does wisdom have value? Is there any value to growing wise? Is it all just worthless, empty? No. It's not. Verse 13 says that there's more gain in wisdom than in folly. It's better to be wise than to be a fool. It's better. And so do you have, do you have an ambition for wisdom in your life? Do you have a, a vision for, for wisdom in your life? Do you want to grow wise? It's a good thing. Do you have a vision for wisdom? So, so Solomon, we, we see in 1 Kings 3, 
an instance where Solomon comes and prays for wisdom. And look at God's response. Solomon comes to God and says, give your servant, he's trying to lead people well. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? Check this out. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this and not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. What happens, Solomon comes to God and he's like, I need help. I need wisdom to lead these people. I need to understand the way things work. And God blesses that and it pleases him. And it pleases him when you search for wisdom. And so we should. I, I want this church, I, my, my desire would be that this church would be full of sages in Christ. Sages, wise people. Seasoned men and women, not impressive people. Not heady people. The sages in Christ, humble people who know how to apply the truth of the gospel. Because wise people change things. Wise people make a difference. What would this community look like? What would Argyle look like? If our church was a thriving body of Jesus-loving, wise people, not smart people, wise people, it would change this place. It would change Louisville and Flower Mound and North Lake. It would change this place if we were a thriving body of wise people who knew how to apply the gospel. So why we should pursue wisdom, verse 13, it says there's more gain in light than darkness. It's good to know the truth, even if it's hard to look at. It's better. It's better to see the reality of the world than to remain ignorant than to walk in darkness. In verse 14, it says, the wise person has eyes in his head. I want to have eyes in my head. I want to see that when I sin, I sin because, not because I made a mistake or the world is broken, I sin because I'm a sinner. And there's grace for me. That's truth rightly applied. And when other people hurt me, sin against me, I want to know they're a sinner just like me. They too need forgiveness just as I do. That's truth rightly applied. When I fail in my life, embarrass myself, I want to know that my identity is not in what you think of me, but in what God thinks of me. That's truth rightly applied. And when I suffer, when I hurt, when my body hurts, or I'm sorrowful because I've, I've lost someone, or, or something's just not going right. I want to know that there's hope for me, a hope that this world cannot take, that death cannot take, that there's a hope in Christ and that one day there will be no more suffering. That's truth 
rightly applied. I want to have eyes in my head to see the hope of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 18 through 25, says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, worldly wisdom does not lead to God but to vexation, it pleased God that through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Here's the summary. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The cross is foolishness to a perishing world. It's foolishness. (laughs) And that's what we preach. We preach Christ crucified because the truth of the matter is you can be wise to the world and be a fool to God or you can be a fool to the world and be wise in God because the cross is folly. It's crazy for, for me to stand here and say and just admit that I am a broken man. The world's like, why would you ever say that? Why would you ever admit your faults to people? Why would you ever serve people and give your things to other people? Get ahead. That's ridiculous. The cross is folly that God would come down and die for his people. But it's true. And we must know this and we must choose. Do you want worldly wisdom? It leads to vexation. Do you want godly wisdom? It leads to God. And as we we grow wise, we seek to to grow in wisdom. We we need to educate not just our mind, but our heart. Aristotle said, educating the mind without educating the heart is no education at all. I want you to have big brains, but have a big heart. The facts about God should trickle down into your heart and lead to praise. If there's a disconnect, you're just puffed up. This should lead to praise. And just so you know, Sunday school answers, where Jesus is the answer to every question, they're true. Fully valid. Jesus is the answer to all of life's questions. So if you think that's simplistic, think again. And if you think that the Bible says it, so that settles it, if that's overly simple, If that's simplistic, let me ask you something. If this is the word of God, and it is, the infallible, inerrant word of God given to us, would it not logically follow that what it says is true? It's true. And so we do cling to our Bibles. 
We come under them and we read them because the, the Bible makes you wise unto salvation, it says. Because it tells you about the Savior. The Bible tells you about Jesus. And so, some of y'all need to consider your source. Consider your source of wisdom. So, Instagram will make you wise to what your friends are pretending they're doing. Sports radio will make you wise to, to games and stats about games that other people are playing. And some of y'all are down this YouTube rabbit trail where you found this well-spoken, well-produced show of someone who, who, who speaks really passionately and they're very convincing and they use God words and they throw that in there and so you think, well, they must be a gospel preacher. They're not. Be careful of your source. You see, we are made, church, to grow in wisdom together as a family, sitting under the Word of God in gatherings like this, praising God in gatherings like this, getting together in discipleship groups where we sharpen one another over Scripture, our kids being discipled in TDC Kids. We are meant to grow together corporately as a church family in wisdom. So there is a corporate together element and a private element. In Psalm, it says, I, I rise before dawn and cry for help. That's literally what I do. I get up before dawn and I get in my Bible and I'm crying for help. I need to be reoriented so that I have eyes in my head. And what you do in private, in your devotional life, it affects our corporate worship. So if you come in here filled up with the Lord, having been spoken to in his scripture, it's going to change Sunday morning. It's going to change Monday morning. It's going to change everything. And we're meant to grow in wisdom together. And so here, here's what we need to see, another sobering moment. No matter how wise you become, you're still going to die. And we have to deal with this reality. In verses 15 and 16, he's like, the same event happens to the wise just like the fools. We're going to die. You're going to die. This is one of those hard realities that we have to look at. We have an answer for everything. You can Google who the third president of the United States was. I had to do that. It was Thomas Jefferson, because I thought if I said that, I should probably know that, because y'all were going to ask me. You can tell Alexa, I need a pound of sugar or, or whatever. There's self-driving pizza delivery cars I saw in a commercial, which is pretty exciting. We have an answer for everything. We do not have an answer for death. You do not talk about death. We like to pretend it doesn't exist, but the truth of the matter is that it does. And we can enrich our lives with wisdom, and we should, but it will not extend our lives. That feeling that you get at a funeral, that lump in your, your throat, that pit in your stomach, it's because death is real, man. And we don't have an answer for it. And so here's your Sunday school answer. Jesus not only has the answer for death, he is the answer to death. Romans 6.23, 
says, for the wages of sin is death. Death entered the world because of sin. That's why death exists. It wasn't always this way. But the one who has come into the world has conquered death. So sin entered the world, death enters the world, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ. The death that you're afraid of, he died that death. That's the death of condemnation, the death of judgment, the death of wrath, the death that makes you shudder and should. Jesus took that for you. And as a result, if you know this, if you're in Christ, you can live fearlessly. You can square your shoulders to death. You can die with a smile if you know Jesus. Because he gives you eternal life. With him, you have nothing to fear. Nothing. That's truth rightly applied. That will change the way you live. Jesus has the answer for death, and he died it for you. It says in the Bible, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Not regrettably necessary, but gain. So I just, I just plead with you, embrace a vision for your life to be wise to be a sage in Christ, to, to know how to rightly apply the truth of the gospel, be a fool to the world by clinging to the cross and holding on to that hope. Be a foolish sage and live fearlessly. Live bravely. Because if you're in Christ, you are held by the one who conquered death. And you have nothing to fear, and everything to gain. Would you pray with me? God, it is a sobering and hopeful reality that you bring to us this morning. That wisdom matters that knowing how to apply the truth of the gospel the person and work of Jesus to our hearts matters and that we should have a, a, vis, a, a vision for, for that a vision for wisdom in our lives to, to be people who are wise and then we remember with the preacher as he reminds us that wisdom won't save us, but Jesus, you will. So we want to become wise unto salvation. Wise to what matters. Wise to hope. And so as we sang to begin this gathering, be our vision, God. Give us eyes in our heads to see that which is true even if it makes us shudder because we know that you are bigger than everything, that you are sovereign in everything, you are good in everything. And now as we, 
We see that it is true, that you can be trusted. It changes the way we can live our lives. So Lord, as we come before you in song, would you minister to us? Would these words not just be words that we sing, but words that echo out of our hearts and may we take them in deeply. Move in us, Lord. Thank you for your hope. In Jesus' name, amen.